Our sermon passage today comes from Hebrews 3, 7 through 19. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So now our Father and our God, this we confess today. You are the one true God, and there is none like you. We are a sinful people who need a great Savior. His name is Jesus. He has come and lived and died and rose again and now reigns over all things. And a piece of what he's doing is giving salvation to sinners like us. And we say thank you. Now, Father, we pray you would make our hearts soft and receptive to your word. You would make our hearts quick to receive your truth and quick to turn away from sin, quick to turn away from rebellion, quick to turn away from unbelief and lean into you. We pray all of this, Father with confidence and the hope that your spirit will speak to us today. The confidence and the hope that you will lead us and guide us and direct us. And the confidence and the hope that you would take the words of me, a mere human, and we would ask you to breathe life into them. And to work in power. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and, and the passage that, that Brandy just read for us. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Hebrews, and this is the next passage. And I feel like it's really important that I point that out today because this is one of those hard warning passages that fills up the Bible. And if you're visiting, you might think that I'm mad at people and want to attack, but that's not the case at all. Um, I'm a pastor. I love my church. I love the people here, which means I love you. And I want to speak all that the Scripture speaks, including the hard passages. And so today, we're going to look at one of those hard passages. You know, one of the hardest things for me about being a parent, and perhaps it's because I have three boys, but as I just continue 
to be overwhelmed at how many different things I have to say no about. Right? Like you would think if you said don't stand on the table, they would be smart enough to know that means don't stand on the dining room table in the other room. But, but they don't. You have to say that as well, right? Yeah, thank you. That's the loudest amen I'm going to get today about rebuking thy children. Or you would think if you said we don't stand on the couch, that you wouldn't have to tell them that means we don't stand on the chair sitting next to the couch. But parenting is filled with warning. But here's, here's what's really important, this connection from parenting to this passage. Those of us who love our children, which I'm just assuming is all of us, okay? Those of us who love our children, there's only really two purposes of those warnings. One is the blessing of our children. Like it is to their good for them not to fall off of a couch and and break their arm or puncture their eye, right? So it's for their good. And second, if they are doing said things, the purpose of the warning is to lovingly call them out of that behavior so that they can find the better way, right? Will you grant me that? So the example I have in my mind as I named our sermon Playing with Fire is, is that of a hot eye on a stove. A parent comes around the corner and we shout, Stop! Maybe in a loving tone of voice, maybe not. You see, the tone of voice isn't the point. But the purpose of that stop is one of two things. Don't touch it, it will burn you. Or, if you're already touching it, please stop so we can minimize the damage and the ER bills, right? Those are the only two points for which the warning flows from a a parent who loves his or her children toward the child. Now, I start there this morning because this passage is a warning. And we Americans in 2019 hate warnings. We hate being told what to do. We hate being directed because we think we have it all figured out. And the rub of our culture in the book of Hebrews is that there are five major warnings in the book of Hebrews, and this is only the second one. So we got to warm up to this warning thing because it's in there, okay? But here's what I want you to hear this morning. The purpose of the author of Hebrews, the purpose of the Holy Spirit who inspired Hebrews, and the purpose of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in in writing these warning passages, is not to push anyone away from God. But it is to draw us close to God. The purpose is to draw us near. So some of us might be walking with the Lord in obedience and faith. And the purpose of these warnings is to say, don't lose your focus on Jesus. As if we would say to a child, don't touch the eye, it's hot. And perhaps some of us, while genuine believers, while following after Christ, are are clinging a little too much to sin and rebellion and we're becoming complacent about it. And the purpose of these warnings would be to say, 
Stop. There's a better way. The better way is walking with Christ. And perhaps in a gathering of this size, there are some of us who with our mouths say we love Jesus and with our lives hang out amongst Christians but have never experienced truly the saving power of Christ and have never truly been converted and have never truly had our hearts poured or our hearts softened and given new life by God and these warnings would be a way for us to say gauge yourself because it's far better to repent again late in life and meet Jesus than to fake it all the way to the end and stay separated from God but at every stop along the way these warnings are a loving gift that invite us to Jesus So what's the main point? Look at verse 19. So we see that they, that was some of Israel, come back to that. So we see that they were able, unable to enter because of unbelief. So the main point of this passage is, by God's grace, fight to cling to Jesus. By God's grace, fight to cling to Jesus. And if you're a philosophy major, you'll see some tension there between by grace and fight. And I would just say, welcome to the New Testament. By God's grace, fight to cling to Jesus. Because if the New Testament tells us anything, it tells us this. Those who cling to Jesus, who repent of our sin, follow after Him and commit our way to Him, He will cling to us and He will keep us forever. The other thing the New Testament tells us is that no one will ever enter into the kingdom of God without clinging to Jesus. So by grace, fight to cling to Jesus. That's it. If you came here today and you don't like listening to me talk, you're done. You got it. But for everyone else who doesn't want to take me at my word, but wants to see if the Bible actually says that, let's look at Hebrews chapter 3. If you want to take notes this morning, the first point is the warning. The warning. As I said, there are five of these running through the book of Hebrews, and so we'll get well acquainted with those. Um, what I can promise you is that I won't go on vacation between this warning and the next warning, so I can actually have a nice uplifting sermon coming here in a couple weeks. I think I preached the last warning in chapter 2, went away, came back for a warning, and it's like, hold up, dude, love us a little bit. So I do, okay? Um, so this passage issues a warning. And it's a warning to the church to be careful that we cling to Jesus. How do do we know that it's a warning, and how do we know that it's a warning to the church? First of all, let's go back a little bit. Chapter 3, verse 1 begins this way. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. So who's he, who's he writing to? He's writing to the church. Holy brothers, those set apart for Christ, who share in the heavenly calling to be Christ forevermore, to belong to Jesus forever. That's who he's writing to. 
So no one is in this room are allowed to look down our nose and say, oh, this passage is for those people who are beneath me, who love their sin too much, who are stuck in sin. Now he's writing to the most holy of holy of holy people, and he's saying, be careful and cling to Jesus. So what's the warning? Verse 8. Do not harden your hearts. Verse 12. Take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Verse 13. Exhort one another that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 15, do not harden your hearts. Verse 19, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. This passage is laying down to believers a warning to not turn away from Christ and cling to our sin. I just think the sheer repetitive nature of it shouts the warning. Now, I want to be really, really clear here. I do not believe, our church does not believe, nor do I think the New Testament teaches that genuine Christians lose our place in the kingdom of God. Let me say that positively. Genuine Christians keep our place in the kingdom of God because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And, not but, but and, genuine Christians bear fruit of faith by continuing to believe in Jesus, continuing to repent of sin, and continuing to devote our lives to Christ and His kingdom. Those things aren't competing. We who have been redeemed, it works out in belief. It works out in repentance. It works out in faith. It works out in following after Jesus. Which means, I'm going to be scientific for a minute, this passage in some ways tells us to reverse engineer our lives. What it's saying is look at the fruit of your life to see what kind of root there is inside of you. Dead roots don't grow living trees. Dead trees don't have any fruit. And if there's real fruit and real leaves, as the rain this weekend has shown us, that means there is living roots that have been nurtured and planted and cared for and watered by Jesus. So this passage is not saying Christian fear that Christ will uproot you. It's not saying, Christian, fear that Christ will change His disposition toward you, because He will not. It's not saying, Christian, doubt your place in the kingdom of God, because you don't need to. What it's saying is, person, look at the fruit of your life and ask yourself, does the fruit show a root of faith in Jesus? That's a hard thing to ask, right? So the warning is a warning to say, look at the fruit of your life. And if it shows the fruits of the Spirit and the fruits of faith, then celebrate what God has done and 
be warned to not be sucked into sin. But if it shows deadness and hardness and unrepentance and a hatred for the love of God in Christ, then don't be afraid to say, Who am I? Because these warnings serve both of those ends. So true Christians continue to repent, believe, and follow Jesus. These warnings are intended to shape the trajectory of our lives and they're intended to guide us and they're intended to warn us because God wants His best for His children. So here's the warning that's given to us in this passage. This passage is very much rooted in the story of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So if you're, you're new to the Bible, basically like the first five books, there's a story in there about God's people, Israel. God made them, God raised them up, God gave them a leader, God sent them into Egypt, and then their time in Egypt went from a great thing to a bad thing, and God had to deliver them out of Egypt. And those whom God delivered experienced miraculous blessing of God. He, he destroyed all their enemies. He, he parted a Red Sea so that they could walk through it and then had it fall back down and drown the ones who were chasing them. He made bread appear from heaven. He gave them water out of a rock. He appeared in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead the people. And what this passage talks about is that some of those who were amongst the congregation didn't belong to God and they turned away in the middle of the great miracle. That's what's going on. So this passage is saying that it was possible, past tense, to hear the voice of God, and still rebel. It was possible to be led out of Egypt by miracle under the guidance of Moses and still rebel. And what it really tells us is that it wasn't those who physically belonged to Israel. It wasn't those who experienced all the experiences. It was those who believed who were delivered. And it was those who didn't believe whom did not experience the blessing. And so the question behind the warning today is not, am I a good Christian? It's not, do I do good stuff? It's not, how often do I come to church? How much do I give? How many times a month or how many times a week do I serve with the kids? Which, by the way, serve with the kids. There's a whole bunch of them back there. But those aren't the barometric questions that we need to be asking. The things that we need to be asking is, is my heart attuned to my need for a Savior? Does my heart hate its sin and love the Jesus who bled and died for me? Does my heart believe that by faith in Christ I am loved and forgiven and accepted? Is my heart attuned to the rhythm of the Gospel which says you deserve hell and you get great blessing? 
Because if my heart's attuned to that, then I'm believing. I'm not walking around in unbelief. And this passage says Christ will be yours forevermore. But it also says, be a student of your heart. To, to be aware of the things which will suck you away and pull you down and make sure that you're wrestling with who you are and what you believe and to what you cling for hope. If that's an uncomfortable thing today, I would say enter into the uncomfort because through the, the valley of discomfort is great joy and confidence to know that Christ is mine forever. Now, in the first warning passage back in chapter 2, the warning was against drifting away. Okay, It was like, don't drift away. In this passage, the warning is different. It's not about drifting away. It's about sin. It's about sin. Remember, sin is turning away from God, God's Word, God's ways, and God's saving power. The fruit of unbelief is sin. And so, the warning is don't make peace with an evil, unbelieving, hardened heart. Those are the words of the passage. Look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, that is, set against God. Unbelieving, that is, not believing in Christ. And then down in verse 12, hardened heart. Meaning a heart that is hardened to the Word of God, the ways of God, the holiness of God, the truth of God, and the love of God extended to us in Christ Jesus. What the author is shouting and, and wanting to be heard is, don't let sin deceive you because it's appealing. Don't let sin win a, a foothold in your life because it wants to. Don't let sin get the louder voice in your soul because it will do everything it can to get there. Be careful. Stay on guard and fight against sin and rebellion in our hearts. Now this is really important, guys. The author of Hebrews is not saying look out at the world and be concerned about their sin. That's a real issue, right? It's not saying look out at the political landscape or the worldview landscape and be concerned about what's, what's trumpeting the day out there in the media. It's not saying pull up Twitter and, and point fingers at others. It's saying look in your own heart because the problem starts there. And if we are the people of God, then that means we know that our hearts left to ourselves are deceitfully wicked and the problem starts there. I hope that a, a good word picture will help here. Uh, I'm not going to use medical terms because I'll butcher them and those of you that are doctors and nurses will be disappointed in me, so I'll just tell a story. But a few years ago, um, there was a man here at our church, a dear brother, um, and he got this heart disease where um, the outer lining of his heart, it, it's supposed to be flexible and malleable like your skin, 
but it got hardened, literally. Like, like the outer wall of his heart got hardened, and it went from being flexible and malleable to like a wall, which meant his heart couldn't contract and pump. And if you know anything about your system, if your heart's not contracting and pumping, then your blood's not flowing, and then you're, you're just going to die, right? And so literally, like he could only walk a few feet without getting out of, out of breath. He could only perform very minimal tasks without needing to take a nap because his heart literally couldn't beat. And I got the privilege of going up to Cleveland with him for a surgery, and, and, and literally they took his heart out of his body and they peeled it like a tomato, and they peeled that hardened layer off of his heart and put it back in there, and it beats again, and he can live again, and he can work again, and it's a beautiful thing. Just let that be your word picture. What he's saying when he says, make sure that none of you are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, what he's saying is, I want your soul to pump with life by being fed by Christ. I want your soul to pump with life by being fed on the word of God and on the gospel of Jesus. But sin is eager to take the lining of your heart and harden it where it won't pump anymore where you won't care anymore, where you won't love anymore, where you won't feel anymore. But the promise of the gospel is that Jesus can take all that hardness away and he can make it work again. And if he's done that for you, let it pump, let it breathe, let it experience, let it feel, let it worship, let it be filled with joy because that's what Christ has done in us. And so what this passage warns us is, Christian, be on guard and be at war with your sin. Start there before you worry about anybody else's. And I I love this. There's kind of this Running through this passage, there's this theme of who, every, Christians, what, stand ready, be warned, fight against your sin, and then when. I love this. Look at verse, um, verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called Today. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying this warning is needed every single day until the day that Jesus takes us home. So what he's saying is not a single one of you are at a place of holiness and maturity that we don't need to receive this warning. As long as it's called today, battle against sin and unbelief so that the gospel of Jesus reigns and we bear much fruit for his glory. All right, pastor, I hear you. How do I do this? How do I do this? I I appreciate you asking, and I love that the passage tells us. Second point, two needed responses. They're both needed. Number one, watch over your soul. Number two, allow others to watch over your soul. Number one, watch over your soul. Number two, allow others to watch over your soul. So look here. Verse 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away 
from the living God. So verse 12 says, the primary responsibility to watch over your soul starts with you. No one else knows the depths of your being like you do. No one else knows the depths of what you struggle with like you do. When we have interpersonal fights, we love to argue about what we said and what we didn't say, but only you know what you really thought deep down. And God does, and that's what he's going to hold us accountable for. Christian, because we need this warning passage, take care to watch over your soul. Which means... Don't try to convince yourself that you're better than you are and without the need of the gospel, but go looking for the dirty stuff and the hard stuff and the shameful stuff so that you can repent of it and turn away from it. You be the physician of your soul who runs to Jesus so that you can experience the greatness and the blessing of the gospel. So I have two questions for you. What sin or sins are you holding too close right now? Maybe it's a a thinking sin. Maybe it's a feeling sin. Maybe it's a doing sin. But for honest, most of them are all of those. But what sin are you holding too close right now? And if Jesus died for you, you don't have to hide it. Be honest with him. And if he's given us life so that his grace and his mercy and his love and his peace and his compassion can pump through our beings and give us joy and give us worship and give us life, I'm going to ask this question and I'm intentionally asking it in a different way. How do you commune with God in Christ? Now notice, I'm not just merely saying, how do you read the Bible? Because often we'll just dutifully read a chapter and close it. I'm not asking, how do you pray? Because often we'll say, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for our food, amen, which I'm for all those things. But I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to push you much, much deeper than that. How do you enter into the presence of God and dwell there? And let Him speak and pour out your heart and let Him minister And let him care for you. How do you do that? And if you have no idea how to do that, please come talk to me. I would love to help you figure that out. But I'm just promising you the path forward to watching over your own soul is to spend a whole lot of time in the presence of God, allowing him to guide, him to speak, him to minister, him to shape, and him to lead. Second, if we want to take this warning seriously, will allow others to watch over our souls. We'll allow others to watch over our souls. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So what this passage says is my first impulse should be, Jamie, fight to believe the gospel. Fight against sin. My second impulse should be, how do I help others believe the gospel and fight against sin. And I don't think that's because I'm the pastor of this church. I don't think it's because I'm an elder. I don't think it's because I get a paycheck. I think it's because I belong to Jesus. Which means that goes to you as well. 
So the question is, because this exhortation could go sideways really fast, right? Like we could have 15 fights over lunch today because 15 people are like, hey, I heard verse 13 and I need to talk to you about your sin. Oh, you don't want to listen? Okay, I heard verse 13. I need to talk to you over here, right? Like this thing could go sideways in a hurry. But here's what I've learned in the suburbs. We're all kind of polite. We all kind of don't want to overstep our bounds. And even if you've been in community group with somebody for nine years, they're probably not going to be honest with you if you don't give them permission to be honest with you. Now, maybe it should be that way. Maybe it shouldn't be that way. I'm just telling you it's that way. So rather than us having a philosophical debate about it, let me say it this way. Who do you trust to speak honestly to you about your soul and your sin? Who do you trust to speak honestly to you about your soul and your sin? Which leads to the second person, second question. Does that person know that they're invited in? Does that person know that they have permission to speak to you on that level? If so, would you reiterate it? If not, would you invite someone in this week? Just invite someone in. Hey, I want to take verse 13 seriously. I've been meditating on the sermon. Can I invite you in to speak to me about my soul and about my sin? Because there's a brilliance to this passage. I know it's written by God. It should be well thought through. But there's a brilliance to this passage because it says, keep watch over your soul. But then it knows that we have blind spots. That's one of their blind spots. It knows that we're not a perfect perfectly able to see our own flaws. And so it says, but then put someone else up there to keep watch with you, to help you see. But the goal is not that anyone gets pushed away from God, but the goal is that everyone gets brought into joyful experience of God's grace and God's mercy and God's blessing. That's the goal of the whole thing. I want to take this all the way back to the beginning. No one who truly believes in Christ for salvation, truly repents, truly believes, and walks with Jesus day by day, trusting Him and serving His kingdom, will be separated from God ever. And no one will come to Christ without repenting and believing and following Him. So let's make sure that in our midst we walk by faith. We walk in repentance. We walk in hope. We walk in love. We walk in grace. We walk in mercy. And let's be a people who help others do that with us. Our Father and our God, I pray now that you would work these truths into your people. Whatever's good, whatever's right, whatever's truthful in what's been said, Lord, would you bring it to bear? Cause it to come to pass.
Father, I'm not the Lord over anyone in this room, but you are. So whatever needs to be remembered, heard, believed, or repented of, would you work that out today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.